0: I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a biweekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if you like this podcast, come join us at a Digital Commerce Alliance event. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week on Commerce Code, I am talking AI, humans, organic media, paid media, and Dan's Tortoise Emporium, and a bunch of other stuff. And I'm doing it with three executives from BN, an Agio company. Jeremy Frick is the chief technology officer. Amy Mullins is the VP of media. And Natalie Rizikova is the director of media solutions. Now, BN describes itself in the following way. Pioneers in AI-driven social technologies that revolutionize global audience engagement... Empowering organizations to deliver unrivaled brand experiences through authentic, scalable solutions that define the social landscape through technology innovation. Okay. Those words are all true, but what exactly do they mean in practice? I've gotten to know BN across the last year or so, and what I wanted to do on this podcast was just unpack what they're doing because it is, I think, different from what a lot of people have experienced before. Even those who are deeply involved in digital commerce are going to learn some stuff and find it pretty interesting. So in the interview, I'm going to ask them, what does all that mean in practice? What's the role for humans now that we're all talking about AI? Where does the AI fit in? Where's the software that's not really AI, it's just software? And how does AI do things that the humans really couldn't do for themselves? And finally, where are we headed in the next few years with all of this stuff? Because it's changing so fast. So... Stay tuned for a deep dive into optimizing paid media, the power of expertise and AI, a conversation with Jeremy Frick, Amy Mullins, and Natalie Rizikova of BN. This episode of Commerce Code is brought to you by BN, an Augeo company, a global leader in AI-driven social technologies that revolutionize global audience engagement. Empowering organizations to deliver unrivaled brand experiences through authentic, scalable solutions. Backed by Agio, with more than 45 years of experience, BN empowers Fortune 500 companies to deliver extraordinary brand experiences for employees, consumers, channel partners, members, and subscribers. BN, Igniting Social Revolution. Jeremy, Amy, and Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today. And since we've got three of you on Commerce Code, let's just start with a quick hello from each of you and just tell us what each of you do at BN.
1: I'm Natalie Rijakova. I'm Director of Media Services at Brand Networks, overseeing the paid social media that we run for a lot of different clients here in the day-to-day optimization and then just helping them oversee
2: strategy and things like that. I'm Amy Mullins, I am the VP of media services at BN, and I oversee our paid social book of business and the hands-on keyboard execution and strategy team.
3: Hi, I am Jeremy Frick. I am the chief technology officer at Brand Networks and oversee everything we do from a technology perspective.
0: Terrific. Well, look, I, I am excited to have uh, the three of you on Commerce Code, significantly because you know, I know uh, what BN does and I've always thought it's really cool I think you're in a powerful space, and, but a lot of our listeners might not know that much about it, which is why it's really fun to have the three of you here to unpack this. So let me just start with, you know, what's the basic explanation of what you do at BN for the companies that you work with?
3: BN really partners with the biggest brands in the world to get their message out on social. And we do that both through organic and paid media. And we can, we can dive more into what that means exactly. But we also partner directly with the social channels themselves to help drive technology in particular for, but also just media and ad optimization and things like that on social in general, drive that whole industry forward. Our primary focus is on brand advocacy through employee empowerment. Data clean room tech and tech and media services. So we we play a role in all of those uh, markets at this point. Okay, I think that touches the tip of a lot of icebergs that we're gonna get into
0: across this conversation. And just to flag them, you know, we'll talk a little bit. I want to learn more about organic versus paid and how that really works. We're talking about social. We haven't unpacked what what it means in practice. So we'll get there. Um you said data clean room tech tons of people don't quite know what that is but more and more people are hearing about it and going wait what's that so I know we want to unpack a little bit of that too so maybe it's easiest to kind of use an example so like if I'm an employee of a company that works with BN just talk to me about how I kind of experience what you guys do
2: I think from kind of the media services and ad ops angle of things or that side of our practice. If you're an employee that works at a company that works with that side of the team, you're probably part of a brand or you're part of a media agency. And my team works with you to provide paid social media strategy and planning, kind of that execution element across the platforms with the, you know, building the campaigns, the optimizing the campaigns, the guiding you in your campaigns, as well as the insightful reporting. And that really functions across all of the well-known paid social channels, your metas, your TikToks, your Pinterests, your snaps, et cetera, et cetera. And tying in kind of the tech element, we employ our additive media tech, which we will get more into as this conversation goes on. But it really functions to drive efficiency and performance for our brands and our team of hands-on keyboard media buyers.
3: From a tech perspective, you know, more broadly, most of our our. Customers are licensees, right? So, you know, we're working very much in a SaaS environment. They're probably using our software every day to get their message out Uh, on social media. That can be, again, through that organic, which is just when you and I post on social media, that's organic content or paid like a lot of what Amy's team does, you know, you know, paid advertisement, paid dollars that uh, help get the message to a broader audience. Our technology helps enable all of that. In many cases, we also integrate our technology directly into their enterprise ecosystem. So if they have a particular single sign-on provider or something like that, we'll do things like that. So I'm an employee of Dan's Tortoise Emporium, which has swept the nation. There are
0: 5,000 Tortoise Emporia Plural of Emporium is Emporia, clearly. Um, And so I'm an employee and I'm just really into tortoises. I'm taking pictures and I'm putting them up on Instagram, let's just say, is my thing. What are you guys doing that will kind of facilitate that and that will just, you know, kind of support the Dan's Tortoise Emporium business? Because I know that I know that all the words that you've said in the last few minutes kind of get around that, but I'd love an example of how's that work and maybe how do I or do I even know maybe as an employee that that's what's going on in the back end or is it more or less invisible to me?
3: for that particular use case i think you would know as an employee so our application for brand advocacy in particular it helps dan's tortoise emporium get content out onto social media in a way that's brand safe so for the most part you would think people taking pictures of tortoises is going to be pretty brand safe and probably people are going to love it because who doesn't love tortoises right but you never know if an employee is going to do something weird or they, you know, they think it's OK, but you don't really like it from a brand safety perspective or a brand messaging perspective. So our application has guidelines provided by the brand to help employees understand what they should and should not be posting. It helps prompt them like, hey, this is National Tortoise Month. Post your favorite tortoise or, you know, hey, we're running a partnership with a tortoise pet food company. I don't know who that would be or like what that looks like. I don't know tortoises that well. But they want you to post about that brand of food, right? So things like that can happen. And then we also have AI behind the scenes that is checking to make sure that people aren't doing anything crazy. Like they're not including drugs or alcohol in, in their posts, which you obviously wouldn't think what would happen in a tortoise emporium, but you never know because, you know, most employees want to be good actors. They want to be good advocates for their brand, but you want to have checks and balances in place to make sure that they're doing the right things. You know, you kind of, for the for the person on the street, like you
0: you know that there's a colossal ecosystem and sort of machinery to social media and the social environment and that there's a just insane amount of tech behind it. But for those of us that aren't directly involved, it's, you, know, you don't, You sort of imagine the particulars of all of kind of how it works right and needless to say it is a it is the scaliest of scale businesses right like other than i don't know the post office or like electricity you know social media goes into every imaginable corner more than kind of any other industry so you're doing this with thousands millions or whatever of of accounts at a time it's software driven it needs to scale there's ai as you've mentioned that's in there AI is a hot topic of conversation. It's been going on for an awful long time in terms of the people that are doing the elbow grease to make it work, but all of a sudden it jumps onto the scene in the last year or so. What does the AI sort of basically do in your case that people or the traditional software can't?
1: What we do from a paid media perspective is take those brand safe ads that were mentioned and boost them to a much larger audience, a paid audience. We put budget behind that. So when we talk about what AI can do to support those kind of campaigns, Not so much what AI can do that like a human can't, but how much time it can save in terms of what we're doing. So historically, we as humans would have to be hands on computer every day, checking into these campaigns, boosting these ads for the Emporium and making sure that they're performing well and driving the engagement that we want to see. And now AI is doing it. So on weekends, we don't have to check in quite as frequently and we get to enjoy our time off. It's a time saver and it allows analysts or whoever is running these campaigns and looking at these posts to have more strategic decision-making time and less hands-on execution time.
3: You hit the nail on the head on, on one thing too. Like, you know, this is a, a lot in and, and no small part about scale. If you only have 10, 15 pieces of content going out on, on a regular basis, you know, humans can handle that really well. When you're talking thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, it becomes a situation where you can't scale with people fast enough. And we tend to be error prone eventually. Like you start seeing the same things over and over and over again. And you're like, "Ah, this is all fine. I, I, everything's going to be OK here. When we were testing a lot of AI technology and implementing our own AI technology around really image analysis to make sure that, you know, people weren't putting crazy things in, in images, we were running our own test cases And there were times where we thought we had characterized all the images appropriately and said, like, this has alcohol in it, this one doesn't. This has a brand logo in it that we want to detect, this one doesn't. And the funny thing is, is the AI would find things that we didn't see. And then when we examined the image a little bit more closely, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we had inadvertently actually put that in there. This is one of these things where computers are really, really good at doing repetitive tasks over and over again. And it's just a huge value add when you're dealing with a huge scale problem across social media. We kind of talked a little bit earlier about this being like a good or bad actor thing. Sometimes it's just inadvertent stuff. Did somebody use music that they shouldn't have used without knowing it? Like there's just things like that that happen that humans can theoretically check for if you have thousands or tens of thousands of humans um. who are all willing to work all hours of the day and watch all these videos. Or you can have AI behind the scenes that's doing this all for them in a much more scalable and a lot less error-prone way.
0: But to me, one of the more extreme examples of this sort of human-to-machine transition is you had, in the, in the Manhattan Project in the 40s, you had like farms of humans that were there with kind of mechanical adding machines doing the mathematics. And it's like, we can't... It, We moved through that so quickly to the next phase that it's kind of it just seems so bizarre and anachronistic. But I think, you know, the analogy here is like, you know, it's obviously the case that with social media with the many different, you know, the example I used, obviously, is kind of funny because maybe maybe the tortoise emporium won't scale to 5000 shops. I'm not I haven't given that up yet as a dream, but I'm just saying, like, you know, Starbucks, you know, that that is the scale that retailers operate at. That is the scale we're talking about with a million or more employees for your big enterprises. And so it is just not tenable for humans to be sort of reviewing the different posts and thinking about, hey, is this a good, you know, but there is a role for humans. So as you've talked about, there's sort of a humans being able to fly spec a certain kind of subtlety that where we just haven't gotten the machines there yet. Right. And this image recognition thing is it's on the one hand, like progressing by leaps and bounds. And on the other hand, you still get some weird sort of outcomes. But there's also, I think, too, kind of a, a human role as well in terms of you know, judgment and creativity and knowledge of the marketing space and all this kind of thing. And I, I ass- well, I was going to say, I assume we won't be replaced by robots. That sentence is probably itself done with. So we will be replaced by robots. But my goal is that that happens after I die. So I'd be interested um, to just get a sense of, you know, how do you think about what human experts sort of uniquely bring to the table As they're partnering with your software and the AI and all
2: that. I think, you know, especially from, you know, my team's angle, we're in the media business, but we're in the services side of it, right? And in that, humans provide a level of white glove service that right now at least AI can't, right? When it comes to, as you were mentioning, creativity, strategic thinking, understanding the nuances of a brand or the nuances of each social media platform and their demographics. You know, it's not the exact same person that's on each platform that's on the next right so there is some kind of brain capacity of the human that kind of needs to play into that to determine things like that initial decision making of building a media recommendation and media planning a strategy helping to determine things like what platforms the brand should be present on, that initial media mix of where your budget should start across each, because it may not be even on a meta to a TikTok to a Snapchat, where you want to start, as well as that creative strategy angle. What is your creative strategy that should be employed across those platforms, making sure that it fits to your demographic you're trying to reach, as well as the channel itself in that social platform and really thinking about you know the current market what's changing what's evolving are people shifting their time from one platform to another because that is all going to play into kind of that initial budget decision making process as well as tying in your creative strategy and then also taking all of those past campaigns you've run for a client whether they are kind of repetitive or new there are always learnings that come into play that the human element is applying in that initial media planning and media strategy process on my team side.
0: So uh, you've mentioned, we've mentioned paid media, we we're talking about organic and sort of people posting and, and, and everything. But on the paid media side, you've got this thing called open signals, I'd be interested to get the audience to kind of understand what that is and does.
3: Yeah, so open signals, it really can take any data available on the internet through an API and use it to make decisions about social media campaigns. The very classic example that we we usually talk with customers about is someone who wants to turn an ad campaign on or off based on weather, right? So they want to sell umbrellas when they know that it's, it's going to start raining or something. And we've done that as well for things like allergy season. You know, if the pollen counts get too high, you want to turn on ads for allergy medicine, stuff like that. But that can extend to anything. That can be sports scores. You know, I'm always hoping that the Bills will win and they've been disappointing me all year. But, you know, if I had set that up manually, I probably would have spent a bunch of money on bills, winning advertisements, and they haven't been doing that. My open signals would be able to say they didn't win. We're not going to turn that ad on some customers also as we talked about organic to paid they use it to intelligently promote organic content with paid media so when they're a piece of organic content that somebody published news story whatever it is hits a certain amount of engagement we think this one is catching out with the public let's just give it a boost and it doesn't need to be a ton of money but we can do this automatically versus having somebody actually watch it so you can set a very clear set of rules and the, the tool will kind of just do it for you and it'll understand what you want it to do but what it does is it, to get to Natalie's point earlier, in order to replicate that kind of behavior, you would need somebody sitting at a computer 24 7, 365, watching all of this stuff. If, and that's not even assuming there's a scale problem, right? It's just there's content out there. We want to see if it's supposed to do what, if it's turning on and off when we want it to. Even if it was only one piece of content, you would just watch it constantly. So that's not great. So instead of being up all weekend watching thousands of pieces of content, you can set up some rules and it'll just do it for you.
4: Commerce Code is brought to you in part by VantageScore. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use VantageScore to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com.
0: We've talked about the machine-human intersection in this a lot. And I think that, you know, it has to do in part with just raw scale, right, is what we've been talking about. But there's also an aspect of creativity and sort of the, the je ne sais quoi of this. And so I'd be curious, you know, from your perspective, like, what are the humans bringing to the table uniquely that the machines just really still can't do?
2: You know, right now, it's still a synergistic relationship. We're seeing the AI continue to get smarter and smarter. I mean, you feel like we're hearing about... Just across the social spectrum, evolution in that almost every day with a platform adding something new here or something new there, whether it's to creative or to targeting, but really for the human, those initial inputs. So, tying into what Frick was talking about with open signals, you know, the humans are the ones guiding and deciding those initial inputs on what is being triggered, right? So, we're telling The AI, what to look for, whether it's, you know, certain keywords in an ad copy or an organic copy or certain engagement rate thresholds or certain temperatures to trigger an ad on or off with. Those are all factors being controlled by humans on top of really that initial forethought of the decision making, the media planning, the understanding and interpreting You know, what the client is trying to achieve and where to achieve it, as well as kind of those prior campaign results. And I think where we're really seeing it come into play, I think in our realm these days, are that kind of Minimizing the workload for hands on keyboard folks, as we've been talking about, watching, refreshing your engagements, you know, that sort of angle. It takes that out of the picture. It helps the creative team, you know, whittle down their number of copies they're providing because AI basically can tie them together, you know, that sort of angle. So I think while we're definitely relying on it to, make our lives more efficient in a lot of ways, that human element really is necessary for all those initial inputs and that initial forethought.
0: It makes me think of this, you know, two words that I'd never seen together until I don't know how many months ago, which is prompt engineering. And the idea, you know, when I first saw AI, just the generative stuff, I just thought this is, this is a jackhammer, right? Like we used, to, we used to break rocks using, you know, pickaxes and, you know, sledgehammers, whatever. And, you know, you still in a sense, at least right now, I think, Um, You still have the same activity, which is the jackhammer doesn't tell you what to destroy and it doesn't tell you where to go, right? But it does accelerate like dramatically, accelerate the rate at which you can you can do stuff. That's a little oversimple. Obviously, there's more going on here. One of the things about AI, of course, is that it can give you ideas that, you know, it can result in you having ideas you wouldn't have had before. So that's that's a little different. But the idea of, you know, fundamentally, you know, people are always worried about oh they're going to take all of our jobs. And I've been joking about that and stuff, but I'm truly a believer that that is simply not how this works and that we increase productivity by having the jackhammer. And then you need more. In a lot of cases, what happens is you need more people to operate jackhammers because it's actually now possible to do stuff you couldn't do before. I think you guys are a great example of that, which is that, you know, things that you might have, you could have had the thought, for example, of, hey, let's curate, let's promote, let's do all these things with, you know, let's say employees' organic posts, but you pretty quickly would just go like, it's it's not feasible, like math doesn't work, the money doesn't work, it's not worth it, it's whatever. And along comes, you know, software essentially, whether you regard it as AI, whether you just think it's sophisticated software that makes it all of a sudden, not just feasible, but extremely attractive to do that stuff. And then you've built a whole new industry. So I think that's that's terrific. But you still need people who are, can think through the the questions that remain after the the machines have done their thing. So, you know, on maybe a, a last line of kind of conversation here. You know, I, I thinking forward about humans and machines and all of it. What do you think the machines are going to be able to do in the next few years that they aren't doing yet or maybe just not doing within the industry? So, like, what's the f- next phase look like?
1: I think we can look at meta as sort of setting the standard for AI continuing to grow. They have products like Advantage Plus that sort of use AI to constantly optimize paid social campaigns. I think other platforms are going to start to catch up with those advancements eventually. I hope and expect to see a situation where AI starts to identify underlying trends as well. So telling us where budget should be, helping us make those planning decisions that we talked about in advance and just supporting campaign planning overall. And then You know, we talked earlier a lot about brand safety um, and we do use a lot of AI for brand safety opportunities, but there's still a lot of human touch that goes into ensuring that ads are shown in brand safe feeds alongside approved content and things like that. So while the ad itself can be brand safe, I'm hoping that AI develops into a future where it is among other brand safe content and can be predictive in that way and let us know where to place those ads. And then in terms of like what phase we're moving into, I think BN is really stepping into that next phase. We have a tool called cross-platform optimization where AI is making decisions across the entire paid social landscape. So Amy had mentioned earlier that we run across Meta, Snapchat, Pinterest, TikTok the whole slew of paid social platforms and AI just doesn't really exist much to allow us to optimize across those and boost posts across that landscape. And that's something that we're doing. So we're making the smartest decisions in terms of how to budget and shift paid social budget across those platforms and hopefully improve performance for clients. And I think in the future, that's only going to get more developed and stronger.
3: Just from a tech perspective, you know, uh, as we as we like to geek out on an AI in general, we've, we've had this kind of this running theme here. And I, I'm sure people will pick up on it, but it's it's tactics versus strategy. Right. And AI in, in particular in, in the development world does a lot to help with the tactical like day to day kind of drudgery that is even software engineering and things like that. So, you know, a lot of these these things that we just find the patterns in code that we run into on a regular basis. Those things can all be done very well with AIs at this point. And I think that level of capability will continue to improve. What we see now is still, you get some good stuff, but you also get some garbage. The efficacy of those those algorithms is going to continue to get better. This is just across all industries, right? It's, it's going to continue to kind of take over some of the tactical stuff. So the humans, us, can all be more strategic. We can think more strategically about where the real problems are, the whys, not the hows. Um, less button clicking, more, why are we doing this? What is the problem we're actually trying to solve? This has been
0: a terrific conversation and just have totally enjoyed chatting with the three of you and look forward to seeing what BN does next with all the enterprises that you work with. Thanks so much for joining us today on Commerce Code.
2: Thanks, Dan. Thank you.
4: Commerce Code is sponsored by Pentadata, the all-in-one financial data API. Whether it is bank account data, credit card transaction data, or credit reports and credit scores, Pentadata has it all in one simple and easy-to-use API. With coverage of over 6,000 banks, over 200 million credit files, and 60 million merchants, you can get all the data you need for your apps at pentadatainc.com.
0: I don't really like the term artificial intelligence, having now just spent a podcast episode talking about it. I don't like it because it suggests that machines are smart in the way that we are smart. And actually, we're just really different. So machines are really smart, except for when they're incredibly dumb. And hey, we are too. Uh, well, I'll speak for myself. I will leave it to everyone else to assess their own dumbness. Computers capture our imagination because they, they do things that we can't do, things that we could never do ourselves. So in that sense, their, quote, intelligence far surpasses ours. And that can induce stress. And of course, since last November, a very public conversation about our robot overlords. But as a sort of antidote to that, let me lay out a couple of tidbits that may put it into context. Uh, Here's tidbit number one. Some Harvard researchers got a hold of a teensy weensy slice of a living human brain. Um, Someone had brain surgery and about one three millionth of their brain ended up being uh, removed. From what I can tell reading the articles, the person is fine. So anyway, the good people at Google then worked with the Harvard researchers to map the thing. And actually, you can see it all online. So it's not gross and gray and spongy. They mapped it like all the different connections so other researchers can work with the data. And it's very cool to look at and play with. And of course, you can see the whole thing on the Internet. Uh, Just search for Google Brain Map. It'll get you there pretty fast. So to make the map, uh, the team imaged 5,300 impossibly thin sliced sections of that teensy slice of brain, at a resolution of 4 nanometers, utterly minuscule. The resulting 225 million images were stitched together into a 3D map using machine learning algorithms. Now, the resulting map requires the memory of about 700 typical computers, so like like a MacBook Air or whatever. So since this map covers just one three millionth of a brain, a full brain map would take up around 2.1 billion typical computers' memories, if we had one. We don't. If you read about this stuff, you'll come across the claim from time to time that the human brain is the most complex thing in the known universe. I can't assess whether that's true, but it seems plausible. And we need to keep in mind, it's not just human brains. The last thing that got mapped before the human brain map was a fruit fly's brain, and that was very complicated, apparently, too. I have occasionally thought that my dog might be smarter than me and is just keeping it to himself. Occasionally, I'm reminded otherwise. But still... Dog brains are incredibly complex, and in exactly the same way that humans' brains are, too. Uh, Even if they're a little smaller, uh, they don't do quite as many things. They still do a lot, and they have some similar structure. And that brings me to tidbit number two. DARPA, uh, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency in the U.S., creators of some of our most advanced technologies, has funded a project for a few years now to make a machine and, and artificial intelligence that has the common sense of an 18-month-old child. That is like the target. Make your AI have the common sense of an 18-month-old child. By all accounts, after several years, with a lot of great people working on it, nobody is even close. Not even close. To put a fine point on it and connect back to Fido, since most 18-month-old humans are regarded as being about a year away from being as smart as a typical dog, not only is human-level artificial general intelligence a long way off, but dog level artificial general intelligence also seems well beyond our grasp even now. The thing that computers can't do and what DARPA calls common sense is obviously complicated, but we can think of it as our ability to hold an image of the world, the world that we see, a room, a playing field, a a space, hold that image in our minds. A model that lets us assess what we experience against the model to work out if it makes sense. Computers, as now designed, don't have a mental model, so they can't do this. They can't hold something in their mind, well, because they don't have one, but they can't hold something in memory and then compare it in that way that we do. One of the main things we do with our common sense is to assess other people. What do they want? What mood are they in? Are they friend or foe? Small children do this. Dogs do this. It's a sort of a sophisticated pattern recognition. And so far, we just haven't figured out how to get computers there. Well, the conversation with Jeremy, Amy, and Natalie touched on this. The machines can do, at scale, what it would take humans far too long to do. So, score one for the machines. And on the business of humans being slow thinkers, by the way, I always recommend a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by a Nobel Prize winning psychologist and economist named Daniel Kahneman. Thinking fast and slow is terrific on that. But we still need the slow humans to tell the computers what to do. We need humans for judgment. Judgment's what all our complex brain pathways are ultimately for, to decide friend or foe, whether to eat something or not. Is it poison? Is it nutritious? To choose a mate. In the world of marketing and social media, it's the judgment about what's cool and new, or what's old and tired, what might not be brand safe because in some non-obvious way it could come back to bite the company, Um, what will represent a fresh new direction or align with a bigger picture strategy. Uh, That stuff takes a ton of what we now call compute, except for the compute is coming from our brains. They are very different than microprocessor-based computers. And it seems like it's going to be a long time before those computers are making decisions or judgments about human kinds of stuff.
4: Commerce Code is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.